Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. Jesus Christ is the reality of God the Father. In other words, God in a way remains elusive and abstract until Jesus Christ came and declared him and made him known and made him real. I want you to hear again from the Gospel of John chapter 1. Um, from verse 14 and onwards, it says, The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. The Word came and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father. And then John goes on to describe this only begotten of the Father. And uh, he fleshes it out a bit. What kind of a man was this Son of God? What did he bring? And he says it here so beautifully. He was full of grace and full of truth. But that word truth is really better translated as the word reality. Of course, Jesus is the truth. He even said so. But what is truth? Truth is not just he brought us another kind of a teaching better philosophy. Truth is when those teachings, those philosophies, those concepts, when they become the very fabric of your being, he brought the teachings of God into real time. And God was experienced through Jesus Christ. He came full of grace and he came full of reality. Again, John's Gospel says that of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and reality, that is grace and truth, came through Jesus Christ. In a way, If you squeeze an orange, what comes out of it? The essence of that orange, which we would say is orange juice. Hear me when I say, what if you were to squeeze Jesus? What would come out of this man? Would come out of him works, condemnation, legalism, Phariseeism, another kind of a teaching? In a way, if you could squeeze Jesus, what would you get? When you wring out a sponge, you would get grace upon grace upon grace. Any which way that you squeeze Moses, you're going to get the law, the commandments, the ordinances. When you squeeze Jesus, and forgive me for this analogy, what do you get? Grace upon grace and grace and reality. 
You see, Jesus is full of the actual God. He's full of the relatable God. You squeeze in Jesus when, you, when, when, when he's wrung out. You get the love of God, the heart of God, the burden of God. And no wonder it says that, verse 18 of the same chapter in John's Gospel, no one has ever seen God, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. He, that is Jesus, has declared him. In other words, Jesus made the Father known. Unlike Elijah, unlike Abraham, unlike a Daniel or a Moses or even a David, they all had, had, had a little crumb in which they made God known. Uh, they gave small little puzzle pieces, small little, little snippets of God. But when Jesus came, he came out of the bosom of the Father and he declared him. He put God on display and he showed us what God and who God was really, really like. Now the question before the house today is simply this. How do I then experience the reality of God? How can I enter into the experience of the first century Christian? You know that they didn't die for a concept or a teaching or an illusion or an imagination or some kind of a fantasy. You know that God was so real to these people. They gave their life not for a teaching. They gave their life for a person. The Holy Spirit made Jesus and the work of Jesus so real to them. Jesus made God the Father so real to them that it was easy for them to forsake the world. It was easy for them to surrender. It was easy for them to repent. It was easy for those folk in the first century to seek after the kingdom of God. They loved God because they really got to know Him. They didn't know everything God knows. But they knew God. Why? Because Jesus declared him. And they knew Jesus because the Holy Spirit revealed him and made him real. So how do you and I experience God in such a way that I can say that I know, that I know, that I know, I know him. I may not know all that he knows, but I experience God. I love God. It is actually a joy to obey my master. How does God become real to me? Well, I want to tell you first a story and then give you four ideas. These are by no means all-inclusive ideas. These are just suggestions as to perhaps how you can partner with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit in the reality of God. But I first want to tell you a story. Some time ago, I was on an airplane sitting next to a Hindu professor uh, from India and uh, teaching in Los Angeles at a university. And I boarded the plane and I, uh, that particular day, wanted to, in a way, be left alone on the airplane and just sit and read my Bible. I don't do that in public all the time, but this was long ago, and I had my little pocket Bible, and I was just eager to read a little and, and dig in a, a bit. Well, the professor next to me struck up, it was a woman, and she struck up a conversation with me, and she said, you know, what are you reading? 
I said, I'm reading the Word of God, the Bible. And uh, she said, oh, tell me, tell me more about Christianity. And uh, I'm, I ministered a little bit and shared a few uh, uh, things about my love for the Lord. And, and she asked me that very troublesome question that to this day um, troubles me. She looked at me. She said, you're a Christian. Yes, ma'am, I am. Uh, you serve God. Yes, ma'am. Uh, you believe that, 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 that Jesus is real. Uh, you believe he's really existed, uh, uh, as the Bible teaches. Yes, ma'am, I do. He was God manifested in the flesh. And she said, you really believe he's powerful? Yes, ma'am. Uh, you believe he's the truth? And uh, she interrogated me, only to come to the punchline. She said, if God is real, if God is true, why are you Christians trying so hard to convert the rest of us? If God is supposedly so magnificent, awesome, so supreme, majestic, why are you employing so many manipulative techniques? Why are you cunning and crafty why do you pray on the poor? And, and she let me have it. I can tell she's had some really tough encounters with Christianity in India. And she was just saying, in essence to me, why do you have to have music and bells and whistles and presentations and dramas and memes? And she let me have it. Her contention was, if God is real, why does your life style why does your very person not preach the gospel? Why do you have to shout on the street? And why do you have to erect tents? And I had no answer for her. She was correct. In the first century, no doubt, Paul traveled and evangelized. But what really stood out among anything that they did or performed was the way that they lived. They could see that these people had been with Jesus. There was something different perhaps in their speaking, something different in their interaction, something different in their character. Their life was touched by the reality of God. They didn't have another mantra or just another technique. They didn't manipulate people into the kingdom. It was genuine. And ever since that day, this has really bothered me. Why are we trying so hard? I submit to you, maybe it's because we, we do lack the reality, and so we, uh, we've got nothing else but the bells and the whistles and sensationalism and performance orientation to try to impress people with the truth. Well, that's what the Pharisee did back in the first century. Each Pharisee had to have a new clever teaching, some special revelation. Actually, that's what the Gnostics came up with. It's just we've got to have something special to, to, to impress upon people. And they tried very, very hard. And Jesus said, you, you travel across land and ocean to make one convert, and then you make him as much, twice as much a son of hell as you are. You bind heavy burdens and yokes upon their neck that neither they nor you can carry. But you're trying so hard, yet none of you enter really into the kingdom of God. My question to you is, why are you trying so hard? If God is real, 
there must be a way where that reality can seep into my being through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ. There has to be a way where we just live a kind of a lifestyle and people stand back and they notice. Can I ask you, when you walk into your college, when you're walking into your home, sir, at night, ma'am, when you visit that small group, do you have to try really hard to put on a show having the form of godliness? Where is the reality? Where's the power? Are you one of those, am I one of those who have a great talk, have a great show, all the bells and the whistles and the performances that goes with it, but we lack reality? I want to tell you, people see right through that. They're not impressed with our music, our spotlight. They're not impressed with our clever sermons, if you will. What impresses people is when God is peaceful in a person, and actually God is joyful in a person, and this person can forgive, and this person walks the straight and the narrow. God is not some mantra, some cultural Christian club of sorts. God is life. God is the supply. God is the grace on this person. I submit to you that's what we need, and I want to tell you, That's the burden of my heart, is to live such a life where, in a way, like St. Francis long ago used to say, preach the gospel at all times, and if it's necessary, use words. That is, let your life so shout, so speak, so manifest that, yeah, words fall short. They're not really that needed. Four ways, four suggestions, if you will, of how you can partner with God for the reality as it is in the first century to become yours. Number one, you need to develop a life of secret prayer before the Lord. Hear me carefully not to put a yoke on you, not to put a burden on you. But if you're born of God... If you are really a new creature under God and the Spirit of God has been breathed into your being and you've been baptized, that is, you've been soaked in God. God is now your source. God is your supply. Grace upon grace comes from the heavens. Then I want to say to you, one of the first things that the Spirit of God will probably want to do with with you is to sneak away with you into the prayer closet and pray. You see, hearing the Word of God is is, is not enough for the things of God to become real to you. Hearing uh, is a start, but, but it's certainly not the end. If you want the truths that you have heard from God and you read in the Word of God, if you want those truths to seep deeper and deeper into your being and put on flesh, then I want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to teach you how to pray. Um, toss your prayer books, T- toss the prayer curriculum, just, just, and go fall behind a rock somewhere, build a little nook in your closet, uh, get into the basement, go create a nook in the attic, go get into a park and, and, and find the bench and sit, lay and prostrate before your Lord and just wait on God. 
and take some of these truths that you have heard, take some of these concepts in God that you have learned, some of these things perhaps that the Holy Spirit is, is working into your heart, and spend time before God in prayer. Wake up maybe a little earlier, uh, even in, in the shower, maybe just bow before your Lord a little bit, like, Lord, here I am. And I want to tell you secret communion with your Father, a fellowship with, with, with God in that obscure, hidden, dark, secret closet of yours. I, I want to tell you that is where some of the truths that you have heard, that's where they are wrought into your being. That's where God knits that into the tapestry, into the fiber of your being. And so many of us, we want to rush to another sermon, maybe another book, another conference, another event, and we think that the the, the information will transform me. If information could have transformed you, it would have. Ask yourself, how transformed are you from last week's sermon, yesterday's book, uh, last year's conference? See, those conferences, those sermons, those mountaintop experiences, they, they motivate and no doubt they inspire. But if you really want to mean business with God, you have got to go hide under a rock somewhere and learn to pray in the Spirit. Most of us, we are apathetic in our fellowship with God. And prayer definitely is an exercise of partnership. And I believe... Um, if, if, if you want some of the things of God, some of the breakthroughs that you need, some of the characteristics that, that needs to be incorporated into your being, if those things are to become real, beloved, no legalism here, hey? Only an invitation. Ask Holy Spirit to uh, turn down that radio in the car. I see so many young people with headphones. Take the headphones off your ears. Shut down the TV and get down on the floor. Don't put on music. Don't, don't try to like concoct an atmosphere. I want to tell you, and um, please hear me when I say this, in, in, in God's kingdom, less is more. Consider a lifestyle of intensifying in your prayer before God. Number two, um, you want the things of God to become real to you. You want forgiveness, peace, righteousness. You want sanctification. You, you want certain graces, certain giftings. You, you want the love of God, the mercy of God, the compassion. You want certain things to become real to you. Then here it is. Stop escaping the trials of life. Stop living in a comfort zone and embrace the difficulties. Embrace the toughness because... In that difficult boss, that difficult professor, maybe that difficult child, maybe even that difficult spouse, in that loss, in that trial, God is weaving into your being reality. That's when the, the rubber hits the road. This is off of the drawing board, done with the theory. This is where God gets practical with you. And I fear that so many of the Lord's modern disciples are just afraid of trial, afraid of suffering, of, of difficulty. We see these things as, as devils besetting us, and we feel the need to constantly rebuke 
And isn't it interesting that we never transform, we never change because we're trying to live a life of escapism versus engaging the process. For most of us, we're afraid of process. We're afraid of the neighbor who's not like me. We're afraid of the boss who's breathing down my neck. We're just afraid to go through the circumstance. So we we always want to just be delivered. And I want to tell you there is, in the kingdom of God, room for deliverance. Absolutely. But you have to ask yourself some tough questions. Are you just trying to get out of difficulty? Or will you embrace it and say, Holy Spirit, teach me. God, what are you doing? And and, and, and partnering with, with intercession, be before the Lord regarding that trial because in that trial, God is working reality into you. Number one, cultivate your prayer life. Number two, I would say stop demonizing your trials. If demons and devils are involved, you just rebuke them Get the body of Christ around you, speak into it, and, and, and be delivered. But, you know, there's just some things where you have to carefully weigh that this, this may not be the devil. This may just be a kind of a crucible, a kind of a fire that, that God has me in and he's working on me. And this is where you have to, to learn to just, you know, surrender and, and, and submit and, and, and go ahead and die. Go ahead and lay down and just watch the Spirit of God in a way burning everything to ashes and, and watch Him give you the opportunity of the power of resurrection. You would not know what beauty is unless you experience maybe some ashes. You, you would not know what, what vindication uh, uh, from God is like unless you've been falsely accused. You won't know what resurrection is like until maybe you've, you've suffered really the heartbreaking loss of something. Of course, easier said than done. The Holy Spirit has to really guide you in prayer. He really has to comfort and strengthen you through trials. Which brings me to suggestion number three. If, if you want the things of God to be real to you, you have got to pay attention to the work of the Spirit. You have to pray in Spirit. You have to walk with the Spirit through the trials of life. But number three, you have got to learn to obey the Spirit and his burdens, his timing, his process, his way. So many of the Christian brothers that I have been around in my life, they uh, would identify areas of weakness in their life, and then they would say, you know, this week I'm going to work on this. Or next week we have another checklist, we're going to work on that. And we identify things in our life where we think we fall short. And then um, we create this five-step, ten-step program of behavioral improvement management. And we, we, we think now this is the work of God. And uh, I see the very men who try to work on their ego a year later still stay egotistical and utterly ambitious. It was not a work of the spirit. That was a work of the self-will. And they checked a couple of boxes and imagined themselves to have now been dealt with in this area or sanctified. And But they treat their wives the same, really, after a year. They treat their children the same. They still have the same view of money and uh, the issues of the kingdom of God. It's not really grown in them. And uh, I can say from my own life experience, whenever self-will, self-effort is... 
is 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 on the agenda, and I'm going to do it my way. Uh, we miss a valuable opportunity for the Spirit of God to do it His way. Here's my suggestion: Stay close to the Holy Spirit. If He wants to work on a certain area in your life and bring the reality of God to that, uh, maybe He does it overnight for you. I'm not so sure. God is the God of process. And he will want to linger in an area and really go deep. And our modern generation needs to go deep with God. I've got brothers in my life that I know that every new every week God is teaching them something new. But their life has not changed. I would rather say, don't try to learn something new every week. Linger in the Spirit. If the burden of the Spirit is on a particular topic, then stay there, pray there, endure there, and don't move on without the Holy Spirit. And don't be like some others who just, oh, I got to learn it all, I got to know it all, and I got to check all these boxes. Because what happens when you check all the boxes, you become a Pharisee, you become a legalist, and you look down your nose at those who have not checked the boxes like you have. Stop it. Live a life of surrender, of partnership, and of utter obedience to the pace of the Holy Spirit. And that's going to require of you to become a man of prayer. If you are not a man of prayer, you will not be in the rhythm, in the pace, and in the timing of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit will not solidify in you some of the things of God that needs to become your reality. Pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Number one, pray. Number two, trials. Number three, suggestion is stay very close. Paul would even say in the book of Second uh, Corinthians chapter 13, when he greets uh, the saints there, he say, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Stay in fellowship. Stay in intimate communion with the Holy Spirit. My last suggestion is simply this discipleship when was the last time you had a spiritual mom or a spiritual dad a spiritual father or a spiritual mother a kind of a spiritual director a modern term we would say a kind of a mentor in your life that walks with you through the process for the things of God to become real in you. We know that Christ paid an horrific price for you to experience God. Jesus did not die so that you could have sermons about God. Jesus died so that you can be in God, love God, know God, Walk with God. And then the Holy Spirit we know has come to take the work of Jesus and make it real to you. But in addition to the work of the Spirit, God does anoint men and women that have been through a life of prayer and trials, who have learned the rhythms of the Holy Spirit. If you could allow some of those men and women to become mentors, spiritual directors that can guide you in how maybe you're a frustration to the Holy Spirit, that can guide you in maybe 
how to cooperate with the Lord, help you in your obedience, help you in, in surrender, help you in repentance. We all want to hear, I think, sermons from a distance, and that's all good and well because the truth is being sown by and large. But I think the sermon that you and I lack is the sermon in the flesh. That is the sermon in humanity. And that's what the first century Pharisee lacked. That's what Judaism lacked. Judaism had all the teachings. In a way, you can say Judaism had all the truths. There's one God, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. They had the truth. They, they, they had the truth, the true teaching. They had the 613 commandments of God. But they did not have the reality of God until Christ came and incarnated into humanity. And he came and he dwelt among us and we could see him and we could touch him and they could handle him. The word became flesh. And Jesus declared the Father. He made him known. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've heard me, you've heard the Father. See, over the course of some 30-odd years, Jesus grew up in his humanity um, in lockstep with the Spirit of God, in lockstep with the reality of God. So eventually when he spoke, he didn't speak of his own resources or of his own reality. He spoke from the Father. He manifested from a depth in him that was real. And so they saw the glory of the Father in this man. They could touch him. That is, he was in a way truth with flesh on, truth with reality. And I submit to you, some of that is needed in our modern Christian culture. There's perhaps an old lady out there. There's an old man out there. And maybe you judge him and you say, oh, well, he doesn't dance. And he doesn't sing like I do. Oh, what can he teach me about God? Maybe more than you know. That grandma that you so easily diss, that maybe can't jump like you do and shout like you do, I want to tell you that grandma can probably pray. She's probably been through a trial or two that you would do well to pay attention to. She's learned some lessons in the spirit that if you can just sit and have a good old cup of tea with grandma and grandpa, I want to tell you, we call them elders. These are folk who have grown in the realities of God. They've been through it. Allow them to discipleship you. <laughs> Listen to me. Allow them to mentor you. Allow them to speak into your life. Allow them to be real with you and you be real with them. No more show, no more facade, no more cover-up, no more faking it till we're making it and then once we make it, we discover we're a fake. Come on, if you want to get real with God, get raw with people, get honest. And uh, my admonition to you, simply four things, among many, pray, develop earnestly, a conversational rhythm with God, where you get to that place where the apostle would say, you pray without ceasing. Uh, change your paradigm regarding trials. Welcome them as friends. 
welcome them as opportunities for theory to hit the road, that is, become real. Learn to walk in the Spirit and, and stop checking your lists. Oh, please, stop uh, trying to improve yourself. You know, Jesus is not about self-improvement. He's really about crucifixion and resurrection. Just, just die to your ego. Die to your ambition. Die to your self-help effort trying to fix yourself. I'd rather just say, throw up your hands in the air. Say, God, I'm a dismal failure. I'm just, I, I don't have what it takes. Oh, Holy Spirit, fill me with grace upon grace. And learn to be in the pace, in the rhythm, in the timing, the process of the Spirit. And then lastly, on a very practical level, Join yourself to a mentor, a discipleship school, uh, a place where the Word of God is taught and modeled, where you can perhaps see Jesus in the flesh. Now, I caution you, there's no perfect people out there. Everybody on this planet that you will ever meet puts on their pants one leg at a time. There is no man of God. There is no supermen and superwomen in God. Like Paul the Apostle at the end of his life, I think we can all say, really, I'm the chief of sinners. We've just learned to have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in my ability. I, I have learned the lesson to look to God. Notwithstanding all of that, allow men and women to speak into your life. Open up a bit. You want God to be real to you? There it is. Pray. Yeah, pray a lot. Welcome trials. Walk in the Spirit. Cultivate Spirit awareness. Let the Holy Spirit teach you. And say yes to discipleship.